This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Women at Work on Business Radio. Here is your host, Laura Zarrow. Welcome to Women at Work and our weekly conversation about how we can help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics, for today's show on how necessity is the mother of invention and that inspired women make great entrepreneurs. Despite common misconceptions, becoming a mom is not a one-way ticket out of the workforce. It's actually one of the stages of our lives where we grow the most, literally and figuratively, to become bigger, better versions of ourselves. Um, In all seriousness, we develop new levels of patience and compassion and become more effective leaders. And by necessity, we take time management to a whole new level, which is part of why working moms report being more productive at work than their pre-pregnancy selves. But it's also a stage of life where time is our least available resource and our bodies are changing before our very eyes like they never have before except maybe like between those awful years of 12 and 14. So while as pregnant women, we can still rock the process of pitching clients, manage our staff and generate value for our organizations, getting dressed in the morning feels freaking impossible, which is why today's guest, Stephanie Recho and her company, Mia Tango, may be the best thing to happen to working moms-to-be since the invention of spandex. Over the last two decades, Stephanie's worked with a host of leading tech, telecom, and automotive brands, including Orbit, Sprint, Nextel, Verizon, Bell Canada, Jaguar, the Ford Motor Company, and our beloved SiriusXM, to name a few. From early days in direct marketing at Bell Canada, Stephanie worked her way up the corporate ladder and most recently served as chief marketing officer of Kayak. All this prepared Stephanie for her current role as co-founder and chief marketing officer of Mio Tango, an online maternity boutique for pregnant women and new moms that's tapped into a real market need in truly innovative ways. Just so you know, our phones are open. So if you want to give us a call, you want to ask Stephanie questions about having it, how to navigate your startup or your pregnancy, give us a ring. We're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And we'd love to hear your questions and your stories. So Stephanie, with that, welcome to Women at Work. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So Stephanie... Talk to tell us. I want to hear the story about how Mia Tango started. How did you move from your corporate life into, you know, being a co-founder of a startup? Yeah, it's um, so. I mean, the, the origin story for Mia Tango really begins with my business partner Melissa Burge. We worked together at Kayak. She was on the finance side of things as our CFO, and I was on the marketing side of things. And she. Um, was pregnant during her time at Kayak, twice actually. And the first time she was pregnant, she was pregnant with twins. And that was right around the time. I mean, we had a pretty open window to our IPO for a couple of years. But when it really started to get serious and the management team went out on the roadshow, she was pregnant. And she had a really hard time managing what she was wearing on the road show and we went public in july of 2012 and pretty quickly we were acquired by the priceline group and uh during that period of time she was 
still pregnant, so it would happen so quickly on the heels of the IPO that she was further down the road with her pregnancy. And at about eight months pregnant, she had to go to a very big meeting close to the close of that particular deal. And she had to go in house slippers to this meeting because she couldn't find any shoes. Had her feet swollen? That, right. She, the way that she puts it, she says, I couldn't find any shoes to get on my big fat feet. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, these were the nicest people in the world, but she felt like less than herself. She felt humiliated, even though they were very, very accepting of her. And she thought... Oh, there has to be, there has to be a better way. The whole process of buying clothes during her pregnancy was terrible. And as she started to talk to people and subsequently as we've spoken to a lot of people, we recognize that we get almost universally the same response. There are many different drivers, but everybody sort of bows their head down and heaves a big sigh and says, oh man, it was awful. Um, <laughs> it was, I swear. It, it, it is. It's terrible. You know, you, the people that, the brands that you normally wear probably don't make a maternity line. Um, maybe some of them do, but most of them don't. And when I was pregnant, they didn't for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And for me as well. And they, you know, even if, even if they do, very little retail space is devoted to it. And especially in today's climate where retail is very, very difficult to be successful at regular bricks and mortar retail it's very hard to find things that you like, things that are your style, things where you're assured of the quality, where you'll understand how they fit. A lot of people don't even know what to get. And she thought, oh, there, there just has to be a better way. And so she left Kayak about a year before I did. And um, she was actually pregnant again at the time with her, her uh, youngest son. And she started noodling around this idea of how she could make a business out of it. And the other really crazy thing about maternity is that um, people are very reluctant, women are very reluctant to invest in what they perceive to be a temporary wardrobe. They feel guilty. Mm-hmm. They, you know, you're bringing a, a little expensive human being into the world. You think, oh, I should be spending on the baby, not on me. Um, and I'll just sort of wing it. And then they're uncomfortable in the clothes that they have, or they do something else, which I find so Funny, they they'll buy larger sizes of their you know things that they like the you know the regular brand will, of jeans that they buy or which never look good buy. on them right pe- pregnant or not and the funny thing about that is that that's buying maternity clothing it's just buying maternity clothing that doesn't really <laughs> bad maternity clothing very well right. and so um, you know part of the whole concept of of Mia Tango is also to alleviate some of that guilt. First and foremost, we want people to have access to great styles, quality clothing. We're bringing together all kinds of niche designers who themselves have a hard time reaching a broad consumer audience because they're small. Most of them are brands created by women out of a need that they saw, whether it's I need a nursing top that I'm happy to wear to work or, you know, or, or, or we want to bring those together. Then we also created uh, a buyback program. So you can wear anything you buy new from us for, um, for nine months, and then you can trade it back in and you'll get some cash back. And uh, we then turn it around and sell it as pre-loved. So you can also come to us and buy pre-loved. Um, which is a smart way to style your bump if you're, you know, if you want to do it that way. <laughs> um, and 
so there's lots of things in the concept. And so she was working on this, this concept uh, for about a year. And then I left Kayak, too, and we actually live in the same town. And I was sort of thinking, well, what, you know, what comes next? And, you know, the, the, the arc of our kayak lives went from kayak being fairly small, not true startup, you know, even at the time that we both started there, but from being very small to being global um, and being, you know, still mid-sized, but much more substantial, definitely more substantial from a revenue perspective. And so we, we both felt like we had some experience in that startup environment. And so we knew what it would, what it would take to, to get things done. But we both also had a keen desire to have the flexibility to be part of our kids' lives. Um, and so I think that combination of things really drove um, her decision to create the company and then my decision to join her. I think there are, there are obviously lots of factors that go into deciding you yes. know, uh, you know, who you're going to work with, who you're going to partner with, business partnerships, so I could talk all day about, you know, the alignment of values. And, and actually, and I want to step in that. for a second because you've shared yeah. so much that I want to unpack this because sure, there's a absolutely. lot that's really important here. So I'm going to back way up because it seems like um, we have several things that are really important and unique as they come together. And we're going to talk about, because I got a bunch of questions about sure. your partnership, how you run the business, the first steps that you take. But if I want to talk first about the vision and the need, because when you were talking about Melissa being on the road um, at this critical time in the business, part of what I'm guessing was hard, it wasn't just, can you fit into your shoes? Yeah. It's that we know that when we walk into professional settings, pregnant or not, presenting a polished image, particularly when we're pitching and particularly when we're pitching for funding, is critically important. Yeah. It, it sets the stage in those first six seconds for how you're perceived in your level of professionalism. And so much of maternity wear, never mind if you're wearing just bigger clothes that make you look like you're in poorly fitted yeah. big clothes or like you used to be a bigger person. Um it's how do you get the polish and how do you have the polish while traveling? That's hard for any woman, never yeah. mind pregnant, where so many clothes increasingly infantilize women or um, treat us as a series of curves. Mm-hmm. And so as you guys were problem solving, how much of what you were solving for were things like um, – how do I find the options that are out there and how much of it was geared toward this is what working women need? Yeah, it was a, it's a huge part of it. And I will say that we carry a broad array of merchandise. So there's definitely, um, there's definitely a focus on what women can wear to work while they're pregnant. There's an equal focus on what women can wear during their leisure time. There's a lot of focus on nursing, and we can talk about that separately because that's a particular challenge, especially Mm -hmm. if you're going back to work. I would say over all of that was this overarching notion that we wanted people to feel amazing. Right, to feel good about themselves. Yeah, to feel good about themselves. Her, The whole thing about the going to the meeting in her slippers the real, what's really at the heart of it is that she felt like less than herself at a time when she should have felt amazing and powerful and on it. Right. And, you know, if you ever meet Melissa, she's, she's so 
put together, and she so knows what she's doing, and she exudes that image. And so to put that, to juxtapose that with this situation in which she felt like less than herself, that's really what's at the heart of, of what we're trying to do. You're creating a human. And I know yes. a lot of people say that, <laughs> oh, mama, you're creating a human. But you should feel amazing and powerful. And you should feel like your clothes, you know, that you're wearing your clothes, not that the clothes are wearing you. Absolutely. that's what happens a lot of the time. You put something on and you sort of, you know, I, we hear people say all the time, oh, I'm kind of the same size as my friend, so we just kind of shared, you know, she gave me hers when she wasn't pregnant, and, you know, I did the same for her. It wasn't really my style, but I just kind of made, made it work. And that's awful. Not, you know, it's, it's very economical, and, yes, there's a savviness to doing it that way so that you don't have to spend money, but when you wear something that isn't your style and that you don't feel good in, it, you convey that in how you hold yourself. Yep in how you present, in how you feel. And especially when you're in an environment where you're doing two amazing things at once. Exactly. You're not only growing this new life, but you're growing this business and you're representing it. And you want to walk in and your pregnancy is not the center of the conversation. It's not what it's about. You need to feel like your own self put together and be able to express your own identity as part of kind of bringing your whole self to work so that you can shine. Yeah. I mean, you should feel like you. Yes. You know, you should feel like you, not like somebody else. And so, you know, we wanted people to have access to clothing that would make them feel great. You know, it's so funny. (laughs) It brings to mind a woman that we were talking to. We do a lot of tester sessions because since we're an online-only business, we want to see everything on real people. Right. You know, we want to see if it's better for petites or better for tall or, you know, those kinds of things because we want to be able to give people advice if they ask us questions. And there was a woman and she said, she said, you know, I, you know, all of my friends tried to make it work for so long with their regular clothing. They like, you know, used elastics and things (laughs) to tie jean clothes, like the closure together and things like that. And she said, the minute I got into maternity clothing, I felt like, oh, this is so much better. You know, it's, it's purpose built, you know, and it's, it's intended to make you feel comfortable. And when you find a style on top of that that is your style, the way you feel is just so much better than trying to cram yourself into your pre-pregnancy clothes or you're making do with something that is a fabric that you hate or a color that you hate or a style that you hate because you can't find anything else. Right, and you move past worrying about what you're wearing to focusing on what you're doing, which is exactly. truly liberating. When, it, when all you can think about is whether your pants are going to fly open <laughs> in the middle of a meeting. It sounds like you were with me the day that I held my pants together yeah. with two rubber bands tied together. Yeah, I, we, I, I have been there, you know, and I, I've been there with the clothing that is a size up. You know, I remember wearing a suit to work that was a size up from what I normally wore, 
And I felt like I was walking around in a trash bag. Right, because the shoulders are too big. The sleeves are too long. It's too long on the hips. And it's probably still not closing over everything that's growing. Exactly. By the way, this is Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. And I'm your host, Laura Zarrow. I'm talking with Stephanie Recho, CMO and co-founder of Mia Tango. If you have a question, if you want to talk to us, expectant moms out there, we'd love to hear about your experience with getting dressed as your body's changing and you're approaching this new stage of your life. You can give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. So now I want to dive in a little bit. So I'm, moving, I'm still moving back to some of these key things that you were talking about. Yeah. Where... So we we know from Melissa's experience, our own experiences, that what was out there was just totally inadequate. I have this memory of going to a very the, the popular maternity store that was in the mall. Um, I paid, and now this was 15 years ago. I I figured I have to get a pair of black pants for work. Yeah. They were $200. They were all synthetic, and the lining didn't even go past the knees. And so that if they touched my skin, they itched. And so it's like they were poorly made, they were ugly, and they were a fortune. And it was part of the very few options that were available. So part of it is what's in the market. And then the other part is how we get to it. And you talk about the process was terrible. So talk to me about how you learned about the process and how it informed the ways that you've tried to fix it. Yeah, I mean, the the biggest part about learning about the process is having lived through exactly what you just described. When I was pregnant, so my daughters are 13 and 11, when I was pregnant, I did exactly what you did. I went to the mall, and I went to the one store that was in the mall, and I bought a bunch of stuff, and it was poorly made and felt funny, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, when you're talking about (laughs) synthetic fabrics. And you know, over time, yes, that has evolved. Um, you know, I could, by the, by the end of my pregnancy, I realized that I could get an okay pair of pants from the Gap maternity if mm-hmm. I did it online and things like that. Um, but what has happened over time as we've started to investigate where, where we can draw from in this category, where we can draw from from a designer standpoint we've discovered all of these amazing women who have created a product out of need. Um, And a lot of that has just been our sleuthing. But when we think about the consumer, the woman who is pregnant, who is trying to get it done every day, the time that you have to do the amount of research that we've done into what's out there, you just don't have that amount of time. And... So I will tell you, so there are amazing brands out there that make beautiful nursing bras and pajamas that are made from organic fabrics, gentle on your skin, gentle on baby's skin, and they're pretty. I remember Mm -hmm. one of my biggest complaints about, you know, nursing bras and maternity bras and things like that was that they were ugly. Oh, they were so awful. Um, And... There's beautiful stuff out there. That's a particular brand that we carry. There's another brand that we carry. Um, She specializes in nursing wear for work. Um, So discreet nursing accent, lots of sort of hidden zippers, big enough that there's actually access there as opposed Mm -hmm. to some of these weird flaps and folds that are on (laughs) top that don't actually work, that it's all made from quality fabrics. 
Um, a lot of cashmere, which people automatically assume that cashmere is very hard to take care of. It's actually one of the easier fabrics to take care of. Um, you know, but, but they all have, um, I wouldn't, I'm not saying small collections in the pejorative sense, but they have modest size collections. They have limited marketing budgets. They're hustling and they're doing events and pop-up shops and all kinds of things to reach out to the audience. But they, you know, there's only so much that they can do with their resources. And so we really feel like if we bring them all together in one place, that's better for them on the supply side, and it's better for the women who need that product so on the demand side. I want to clarify. So I went to the website, and I was looking all over it, and I was, yep. and I'm serious. I was like, why didn't this exist when I had my daughter? Right. Um, but, you know, the whole world needed to change so we could get here. Yeah. And, um I want to clarify something. So you guys aren't producing your own clothes. What you're Not really yet, doing no. is kind of aggregating together. Um, yep. You're creating the marketplace for these um, manufacturers and these designers who are producing things specifically for this audience, but maximizing their reach because they're all together. Yes. And the vision of the company is to eventually get to that place where we're also, where we add our own line to it. Um, but that will, that will come. You know, we're very small right now, um, and that is part of our growth plan. Part of the growth plan as well is to introduce, um, you know, more and more products. You know, it's interesting. We've, we've, we definitely carry on the pregnancy side of things, and then we carry on the post-pregnancy nursing side of things. There's so much more that can be done on that side of things as well because, and you know this as well, when you go back, to work or back to, uh, you know, once you've had the baby and you go back to that world where you assume you're going to be wearing some of your old clothing, a lot of your old clothing doesn't work right. for it, you anymore. It doesn't fit the same way. Yeah, it doesn't fit the same way. Things things have moved around. Not to mention, it's now a solid year, year and a half Absolutely. later. Yep. And things that you liked, like, and this just happens to us, never mind pregnancy. You look in your closet, it's stuff that's, you know, two, three, four, five years old, and you're not going to like it again. Absolutely. And and you just, you know, one of the things for for me, I've never been a heels kind of kind of person. Melissa loves shoes. I have, you know, I have other things that I, that I you know, spend I have other vices, I guess, other things that I spend my money on, but she loves shoes. But we laugh because it's just not pragmatic to to run around in in high heels once, you know, when the baby is there. And so there's there's that. There's, you know, how low cut is the top? Is it going to gape when you have to bend over to pick up mm-hmm. the baby? Can a baby spit up on it? Can you throw it in the washing machine? Can you, you know, all of these things. And so your needs change. And so what we're really also trying to do is expand on that offering. And then, you know, there's a million other things, transition wear, different kinds of bras, shapewear, um, you know, amazing diaper bags. I remember it, we, we laugh, too, because we carry the, a wonderful diaper bag that is super chic, um, and really functional. You can put all kinds of things in it, tons of compartments. You can, you know, it, if, a, if it gets milk on it, it's easy to clean, all that kind of stuff. And also remember, it doesn't make you look like you're carrying a children's right. tote bag, which and I don't I know remember, why companies I mean, my thought. Diaper bags, my diaper bags all looked like diaper bags. Right. And I think that that's another area of opportunity. Um, so there's lots of places that we can go. So, yes, right now, we are, you know, we're, we're the retailer bringing together all of these other designers. We're going to keep on layering on top of that and expanding the offering. 
It's brilliant because then I also think about it as a process from a shopper. And one of my colleagues is pregnant, and I shared it with her today, and it was so wonderful to see how excited she got looking at it because of the variety that was there and um, how well organized the website was, but that she could see all of these options. And so one of the things I have a question about is the whole buyback option. And we actually have a question from Dana from Philadelphia, which I think is a good prompt for this. Um, Dana's got two bags of good maternity clothes. Yep. Um, Can she donate? them to Mia? How does she get them to you? What's the process like? How does that all work? Yeah, so that's the next phase for us. So right now, we're just um, doing the buyback, the trade back on items that we sell. Of your so own we items. Wanna add our own stuff. But what we want to add in the future is the option to do exactly what she's talking about. Um, and, you know, to make sure, I, I did the same thing. When I was, after I had my second daughter, I had I had Rubbermaid containers, full of stuff, <laughs> yeah. and I just wanted I wanted it gone, and I happily donated it to you know through regular donation channels. But I would have loved to know that it was going to women who needed it. By the um, way, if so, anybody out there knows of a great place to donate maternity clothes, we'd love to hear from you. So yeah, give I us would a call. Absolutely love that because that is something that Melissa and I would love to do. Um, because we feel like everybody we've talked to, it's so funny. I, I was explaining these are the things that you talk to your OB about when you go for your annual appointment. And I was telling her she had triplets. And she actually quipped to me that she just threw it all in a trash bag and, you know, dumped it down the chute because she was so frustrated by her experience. <laughs> I sort of wanted um, to burn mine, but I had <laughs> friends who were pregnant, so they went down the food chain that way. But it's so funny because your comment about burning it, we heard, I want to have a bonfire. I want to burn it. I want to throw it down the chute. I want to get rid of it. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's almost a universal experience. So we know, you know, part of the vetting process of, of does this make sense, is, this, is there a need here, was hearing all these stories from women who said exactly the same thing. Um, you know, just to drive home that there's something broken about the experience right now. And there's lots of people out there trying to help solve it, but we just want to be sure that people are getting access to what they're doing. Yeah, it's so ironic that at a time where something so magical is happening to us that we're so thrilled about, and also where we tend to be very sentimental about lots of things to do with our pregnancy and our, our children's arrival into the world, um, our feeling about the clothes that we wore while pregnant do not carry the same charm. Yeah. And how terrible is it? I, you know, I, just to, to jump on that, the, I have probably two pictures of myself from when I was pregnant because I didn't want to be photographed. And now that it's years later, I'm actually kind of sorry (laughs) that I I don't have that. And I think that that's very indicative of how women feel about themselves when they're pregnant. Um, And, you know, we want women to feel beautiful, to feel awesome, to feel like themselves. To feel as beautiful as we see them. Exactly. And also then to carry that self-esteem into what they're doing every day because their pregnancy doesn't define them. Right. Instead, it enhances them. And we want women to go into the world empowered by this. Exactly. So, you know, we need to take a short break. Um, And after we get back, Stephanie and I are going to continue to talk about not only how to help women 
go through this important period of their lives um, feeling awesome, but also how she started this enormous business, how they approach it strategically, and what we can learn from Stephanie about bringing those things into our own lives. If you'd like to give us a call, and especially if you have suggestions about donations, we're at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. We'd love to hear your stories. We'd love to take your questions. So give us a ring. I'm Laura Zarrow, and this is Women at Work on Business Radio. You're listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. Here again is Laura Zarrow. Welcome back to Women at Work and our ongoing conversation about how to help more women join, stay, succeed, and lead in the workplace. I'm your host, Laura Zarrow, Executive Director of Wharton People Analytics. And today, I get the great pleasure of talking with Stephanie Recho, co-founder and chief marketing officer of Mia Tango, a really um, awesome easy to use, highly recommended online maternity boutique. Stephanie, welcome back to Women at Work. Thank you. And by the way, if anybody would like to join in the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. And Julie from Cinnaminson, if you're out there, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us like she does at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Okay. So, Stephanie, before the break, when we were talking and you were kind of giving us the story of how Mia Tango started, one of the things that I want to hear more about is how you selected each other as partners, you and Melissa, and how you made that idea of a partnership work in real life. Yeah, I I think that's a great question. You know, it's funny because we were just talking about uh, this the other day because we were trying to give somebody... Um, advice on how to select a co-founder and you know there's there's lots of there's lots of pros and cons to going it alone versus having a co-founder I lean more on the the pro side of it I think that especially when you're small and trying to build a company build a brand that having another person to bounce things off of to support you all of those things is really really critical but in terms of you know, what we were looking for in the other person, you know, I think one of the biggest things for us was that we had shared values. So I had said before that we were really both looking, look, we're both ambitious, driven women. We want to be challenged. We want to keep learning. We want to keep working. But we also want to be able to prioritize our families. Um, we want to be part of their lives. And so that shared value of trying to figure out a way to create the flexibility that we needed, as well as solving a real problem that we felt needed to be solved, sort of that common vision in our lives really aligned us. And I think that that was really important um, in terms of us working together, that we knew we were working towards the same type of thing. Look, we want to knock it out of the park on the business. Um, We want to meet what we're defining as that unmet need, that transformation Mm -hmm. of the maternity category that we both feel is so needed. But we also both want to uh, live our lives, have our lives, (laughs) have balance in our lives that we're looking for. So Um, I have a question a level down from that. Sure. Because, you know, I've also tried partnerships where I I have to say, one in particular, our values were certainly aligned. Mm -hmm. But yet the chemistry between us, the way that we worked together wasn't great. 
How did you two either, A, affirm that you knew how to partner with each other? And and presuming you, you did, you know, how do you navigate the challenges of having an equal partner and communicating effectively with each other? Yeah, I think, so I think part of the heavy lift on that was done for us because we work together at Kayak. And Kayak is kind of an interesting, an interesting company in an interesting environment. Even as it grew to be quite large, it still ran very lean from a people perspective. Um, and so you had, to be, you had to be somebody who could think at a high level, lead, manage, um, but you also had to be somebody who was willing to roll up your sleeves and do. And there's a particular kind of orientation in someone when they fit that mold. Um, and we, we knew to begin with that we both had that in, in our DNA, that we, you know, and I think that was especially important when we were thinking about working on a startup for the two of us. You know, it couldn't have been a situation where one of us did all of the planning and all of the strategic thinking and the other person did all of the doing. You know, this startup in and of itself requires that you both be willing to roll up your sleeve. Absolutely. And I think, I think another part of it for us was um, the ability to check the ego at the door. And I think that got vetted very, very early on. Not only did we recognize from past work experience the fact that we both had the ability to roll up our sleeves and do things. But Melissa made a comment to me very early on that I still remember and that I still love. And it was, you know, as, as Mia Tango grows, I, I don't care what I do for the company. I don't care what my title is, you know, as long as we're, we're meeting the need and as long as we're growing and as long as we're solving the problem. And I love that because I feel the same way. You know, in the end, yeah, right now, you know, she's the, the CEO and founder and I'm the CMO and co-founder. You know, I don't, I don't care what I do when the company is bigger. I, I, could, be, I could be any role. You know, I'll, I'll clean up the desks at night. Right, as long care. as it's succeeding. <laughs> so I have a question about ego on a more personal level. You mm-hmm. know, when we work in um, even larger startup environments, we um, hopefully – you know, we're in an atmosphere where we feel respected, there's a certain amount of trust, and we can talk with each other in productive and candid ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not quite as intense as when it's just the two of you. Yep. How did you figure out the way you communicated with each other? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know that we we consciously figured it out. I think we just, we just do it. And, you know, <laughs> I, I think that that... I think that that checking your ego at the door comment probably goes well beyond what our roles are at the company. And I think it, it definitely seeps into communication as well. Because, look, I, I, I think it's kind of funny, and we laugh at this sometimes. I, would, I, I don't give Melissa advice on how to manage the finances of the organization because finance is not my background. Marketing is a little bit different, right? right. It's a little bit of a... Um, you know, all the marketing people out there are going to get mad at me because marketing is a science, but it can be a little bit squishier. And, you know, their ideas can come from anywhere. And I think that there's just an openness. Um, You know, I guess maybe a better example is to talk about the merchandising because we don't have a merchandiser on on the team yet. We don't have somebody who's out there uh, picking the styles. We're doing all of the style curation ourselves. 
Um, and, you know, if we, we often say, oh, I, I think that would be really great. Oh, I'd love to offer something like that. Oh, I don't like that. But then one of us will like it and the other doesn't. And I think that that's okay because we have different tastes. And so I just think on the communication front, there has to be the willingness to listen mm-hmm. and a willingness to not be right all the time. I love it, <laughs> right I love it when people ask me, you know, how are you at taking criticism or do you feel like you have to be right all the time? I think I'm wrong 90% of the time. <laughs> but you bring a self-awareness to it and a commitment to the goal. Right. By the way, in hearing ideas from new places, um, Ivory's calling in from D.C., so I'd like to take her call. Ivory, thank you for listening to Women at Work and calling in. What's on your mind? Hi, thank you for taking my call and thank you so much for this topic. Um, I, I'm, I'm sorry I caught in uh, the middle of the show so i didn't catch her guest name but i did want to ask her what um or either of you what would be your advice for bringing on a co-founder after you have started your business i'm a small business owner and i've been in business on my own for about um almost four years and i feel like i could use that you know partner to bounce it off what would be your bounce things off of in order to grow the business, what would be your advice on taking on a founder? Ivory, that's a really great question. Stephanie, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, in a way, that's very similar to Melissa's and my situation. So she'd already been working on Mia Tango for a full year by the time I came on board. And so I think, you know, first and foremost is identifying what your need areas are. Um, you know, do you need somebody to come on board that has a particular expertise or skill set? Do you, um, you know, is there a need to have it be more somebody who's an investor? Is it a need for somebody to really have the same skill set as you, but to offer a different perspective on things? Is it to, you know, have another set of hands? The questions could go on and on. So I think for me, And for Melissa and I, you know, I think part of what was critical for us is that her background and my background are so different, but both of those skill sets are needed in order to make the company work. I don't think that it would have worked as well had I been uh, somebody who was on the finance team with her at Kayak or somebody with the same skill set, same background as her. I don't think that that would have met the need as well. And then... You know, I think that then there's a whole vetting process on all the things, Laura, that you and I have been talking about in terms of, you know, how do you communicate with one another? Does the person possess the same level of self-awareness that you do? And I know those things are, are hard to tell. Those are sort of soft attributes that you need to spend some time with somebody to, to figure out. Um, but for me, first, it would be the, the need that it's fulfilling and then really really doing as much as possible and vetting with other people who might know the potential partner, whether you are a fit for one another from a work perspective. Ivory, I have a question for you. Do you have somebody in mind or is this an idea that you're just starting to process? So I, I, and that's the thing, it is is an idea that I'm just starting to process. So to kind of clarify some of the the things that you were saying is that, you know, I'm a technical person. My, my business is an IT consulting firm, and I started it because of my technical expertise. Yep. And um, what I find is that most of the time when I'm gaining new clients, they're looking for my 
technical expertise. And in order for me to branch out, I need to, one, have someone else who also has it, but more so, I think, on the, you know, kind of sales, maybe marketing um, perspective. And so I guess my follow-up question with you would be for on Melissa's end, your partner, did she have any type of trepidation? Was there kind of a wooing period where she had to get used to sharing her quote-unquote baby? Because, you know, a startup is your baby. Yeah, I mean, I think it was actually funny because um, there was a little bit, but it was the, the way that she positioned it to me was come and play for a while. You know, come and hang out and play and see how you like it, and then we'll figure out where it goes from there, if it goes anywhere. And I thought that that was the perfect way to enter into it. Um, You know, and a lot of it had to do with the particular situation. I had just left um, my job at Kayak, and so there was a bit of a question for me about what should I be doing next. I knew she was doing this thing. It was intriguing to me. But I loved the fact that her orientation towards that conversation was come play for a while. Let's have some fun. <laughs> so you I, I have a question in a slightly for you, Stephanie, and Ivory, I hope this is helpful, that it okay. seems like one of the things that you got, um, the, a gift that came your way, for both you and Melissa, was that you were in kayak together so you knew each other. Yeah. So that she, um, it's almost like, you know, falling in love with somebody because you met them at school as opposed to saying, I'm single and how do I find a partner? Yeah. And um, so one of my questions would be, um, I have a two-part question on Ivory's behalf. And Ivory, tell me if this is helpful or not. One would be... um, What's the difference? How would you approach sorting out? Do you need a co-founder? Does Ivory need a real partner? Or does she need to hire a chief marketing officer who helps her run the business enterprise? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think, you know, a lot of it comes down to, well, I guess the first gauntlet is, are you willing to share your baby? You know, I think that somebody who comes to work for you is obviously sharing in your vision for the baby and helping you, you know, get it there. But bringing on a co-founder is really sharing the baby. It's sharing parental rights. Um, and so it's, it's something that you need to ask yourself. And there's also, you know, if, if the company grows, when the company grows down the road, there's also a greater financial sharing of the baby um, down the road. And so those are all very personal questions that you need to ask yourself versus do you think that there is a gap in a specific skill set that you would benefit most from having somebody just focus on that part of it. Okay. Those are, um, you gave me great food for thought. And yes, those were excellent questions um, because I didn't, I actually didn't even think about that. Like, you know, the difference between do I need a co-founder and there are gaps. And I think, you know, my gap, I I recognize what my gaps are um, in terms of, you know, being able to, um, acquire new clients and build that business and sort of diversify the clientele that I have. Um, I have a particular experience, vast experience, like the last 13 years within the public sector. So I recognize that it would benefit the company to have someone who has more of that sales experience in the private Mm -hmm. sector market. Um, So that is something that I I have to consider. So Ivy... 
I think this is an exciting time for you. Um, one thing I'd encourage you to do is um, also make good use of your networking opportunities because if you don't have somebody in mind um, and you're trying to explore, A, what do you need for the business, but it's also um, who might be your right partner and what form it takes, your networking community is going to be a really great asset for you. So, Ivory, thank you so much for listening and calling in. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the call. Oh, our pleasure. Um, If you'd like to join us, if you have questions about starting your own business, um, about your own process of navigating um, the process of going from mom to be to working mom, give us a call at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942. As you probably know, I'm Laura Zarrow. This is Women at Work on Business Radio, SiriusXM.com, SiriusXM 111. You can email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. And I'm talking today with Stephanie Recho, CMO and co-founder of Mia Tango. Um, if you have a question, like I said, give us a call, 1-844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So, Stephanie, you know, you had this amazing opportunity to work with this colleague that you knew and respected and trusted. And you also have this fantastic idea. You know there's a real marketplace need. You lived it yourselves and an innovative way to approach it. How did you go about getting funding? Yeah, so we're not funded yet. So really? Well, let's, let's put it this way. It's, it's self-funded. Okay. Um, Melissa is the primary investor, and that is the next phase for us, is going out and, um, and getting uh, formal funding. And so we have now been live for a year. So we have year-over-year results. We've done a lot of testing, a lot of optimizing, both on the site, uh, with marketing, with our merchandise, all kinds of things. So we have really, from a business perspective, we feel good about the story that we have to tell. And now mm-hmm. it's time to sort of hit the road and drum up some funding. So as you prepare for that, you know, synonymous with startup is lean. You know, yeah. that you, how many employees are there? Is it just the two of you? Just two. Okay. So when you go on the road, there goes your supply chain, your marketing department, your finance departments on the road with you. Um, How do you make plans to keep both things working at once? Yeah, I mean, so on the road is uh, is probably a little bit of a misnomer. So we're, you know, we're definitely going to do meetings and be out there talking to people at the same time that we're running the business. Um, the great thing about the timing of it is that we're up on a particular season of the year, so we're not mid-transition on seasons. Um, so there's, you know, from a merchandise perspective, we feel good about the, that part of the business. From the marketing side of the business, there's always work to do. From a finance side of the business, there's always work to do. So we'll simply have to do that at the same time. And I think that's, again, one of the, the great things that I've learned over the course of my career. And it's probably one of the most valuable lessons I learned along the way. It's just ruthless prioritization. There's an opportunity cost to every decision I make. Am I going to focus on that or am I going to focus on that? Um, and so that really is key to making sure the business is still running while we're out there trying to fuel it for the next phase. I love that concept, and I'm going to take a moment to say it out loud so I can even internalize it. But that idea that it's ruthless prioritization. Absolutely. Which is part, and it sounds like that's what got you to this place, that you understand exactly what you have to have in order so that you can time when you're going to seek funding. Yep. 
and that yes. you know exactly what has to be sustained while you're taking on another thing that needs your attention. Yeah, that's that's very very accurate. And I just even even say put the funding part of it aside, even on a day-to-day basis, especially because it's just the two of us. There are so many things that we'd like to do for the business. So many shiny pennies. But we know that certain things are going to be much more important to getting where we need to be to keep the business sustained and keep it growing and keep reaching more women and keep helping them, you know, solve this big daunting thing of getting dressed while they're pregnant. <laughs> so, it, you know, if I, you know, if I look at the site and you made a really nice comment about the site, which I should have thanked you for at the time, which is that it's well organized, but it's so much more important to me to make sure that people can find things Mm -hmm. on the site, that it is well organized, than say, I don't know, doing something else, right? Um, I can't even think of another example. So as your priority... So I'd like to explore this idea of how you actually prioritize this. Um, One of the things that um, I always feel the the tug of at working in startup environments is when you're working on something, when you make devote time to the short term need versus the yep. long term need. Yeah. What's your thought process to sort those out? Yeah, it's I, I will do my best to, to articulate it. And maybe some of it I just do based on feel. I don't know. I have to think about that a little bit more. But if if something meets a short-term need that meets that also meets a need of a consumer mm-hmm. i'm going to put that above something that meets a short-term need that just meets my need okay you know like it, there's lots of, I'll, I'll give you some examples on the finance end of things cuz melissa and i you know both i think prioritize pretty similarly and i think that's probably another thing that we could add to the list of how, how to do <laughs> right to why work this with. works but um there are so many things that we could do to make the process of her keeping the books easier, but they don't really improve our product. They don't improve the experience on the site. Over time, some of them will be necessary just because it will be impossible to scale the business without addressing some of them. But some of the accounting right now is pretty manual, and she needs to deal with that. But she would rather devote time to doing it that way than making it automated when we could be focusing on fixing something on the site that makes the customer's experience better. That's a really fantastic example because something that I see um, every environment that I've been in that uh, deals with these questions is when you know that there is the right process. Yeah. But setting up the right process takes time. Making the decision about when you devote the time to that versus just getting it done however you can quickly so yeah. that the essential thing gets done and built. Yep. And it sounds like this is also a case where having a partner, especially one with such aligned values, helps you sort out those questions so you're not always struggling alone to make them. Absolutely, and I think that 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 is really one of the true key benefits of a partnership is that we sit together every week and we say, okay, what's on the docket? What's on the docket for right now and then what's on the docket for next month and what's on the docket for down the road? 
and where do we want to put those things in terms of priority? And there, there are just some things that we know we need to do eventually or things are going to break, for lack of a better way <laughs> right. of saying it. But fixing them right now is not the priority. Um, and I think that you really, you can decide that stuff on your own, but your ability to tease out the pros and cons of it are going to be more limited if it's just you, so, if that's the right way to say yeah, it. So I have a related question, um, and we only have a little, just about a couple minutes left. Yeah, but sure. there's another part of your life where you have a partnership. And you're married, you have children. Um, how do you ruthlessly, do you ruthlessly prioritize at home? And what's, and how yep. do you make that work with being in the life of a startup? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. So it's, it's not dissimilar, the, the process of doing that. I'll give you an example. So I, so I work from home, which could very easily, right now I work from home. When we get to that point, we'll get ourselves an office and we'll figure all of that out. But right now, again, ruthless prioritization. We wouldn't spend money on an office space when we can both work wherever. Right. <laughs> um, but that could easily lead to everything just becoming a bowl of mush, right? That kids get home from school and all of a sudden everything goes the way of chaos. Right. Um, but it's the same prioritization. So I know very clearly that there's certain things for my girls that I will will right now not sacrifice, say, for example, taking them to the doctor. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be the one to drive them to a lacrosse game or an after-school club, but going to a doctor appointment, that I'm going to prioritize. So I have a sitter that helps me out with the to and fro from school activities. I, my husband and I do it on the weekends, but when it comes to the doctor's appointments, that's, that's my husband or it's, it's me. Um, and it, there's just that ongoing thing. And it's not to say that I've never missed anything. Um, you know, I, I miss things. I'm, of course. You know, I miss concerts. I miss some appointments. I miss this. I miss that. But it's the ongoing question of what is the right decision for right now and then being able to step back and see, kind of see the forest above the trees and <laughs> look broadly upon your decision-making and say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm doing okay. And you, you know, know what? I, Unfortunately, the thing we have to prioritize right now about time is that it's gone. It's gone. (laughs) And so I want to say thank you for prioritizing um, women who really need these resources for doing the great work that you're doing and joining us on Women at Work. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. If people want to find you, where can they go? They can uh, email me at stephanie at miatango.com. Okay, and that's miatango.com for more info. Um, thank you all so much for joining us today. If you have a question about something you heard, email us at businessradio at SiriusXM.com. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at BizRadio111 and me at Laura Zarrow. I'd like to thank my beloved producer, Patty Well, our fantastic associate producer and sound engineer, Danielle Bruno. I'm Laura Zarrow, and you've been listening to Women at Work on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School here on SiriusXM111. Have a good week, everyone. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play.